Lockie is actually Bruce and Anne-Marie's uh, son. They're the uh, principal and, and managers over at our Victory campus. I've actually known Lockie a, a very long time. Uh, he's the man that introduced me to Reggie. And uh, he's been over serving in New Zealand for the past two years. I'm going to say it wrong, but I'll try. In a small town in New Zealand called Taronga. Close enough. Um, and he's been serving there as their youth pastor, as their music director. And uh, just recently in this new season, he's felt God call him home. So he's come to our area to live. So I'm really excited that you're here. Uh, and also I'd like to uh, welcome, we've got uh, friends of my family. I, I don't even remember meeting you. I just know knowing you both. Uh, they're, uh, Bill and Ginny Tucker, they're friends of my family. Uh, they've been a great example to my life about what it is to serve Jesus for a lifetime. So I just want to welcome you guys. Let's give them a hand as they're here this morning. So that was a great video uh, we just saw about Wonderful Counselor. What we've done over the past six weeks, we had a small break uh, when Vicki Simpson uh, visited our church. We also had a uh, faith declaration into the uh, vision cast by our senior pastor, Nick Reski, uh, for one week, who is currently in Singapore ministering over there. Please pray for our pastor. He has to preach 10 times in about five days. Um, it, it's an incredibly uh, great opportunity that he has over there and um, uh, just please be praying for him. Uh, it's, it's very interesting that it's Christmas time and a lot of people are talking about white beards and he's growing one at the moment. Hopefully you'll see it when you get back. It's amazing. It is all white. It is incredible. Uh, but please be praying for him uh, as he ministers the gospel to those that uh, need to hear a word in season. But we've been looking at a series called The Gift and if you can put up the first slide, uh, that'd be great. We're looking out of Isaiah Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 when uh, we, we know that the background to this scripture that the, the Israelites have been uh, in, in captivity once again and uh, because of this they're beginning to doubt uh, God's faithfulness. So we know that in the context that Isaiah a prophet begins to declare prophetically about a man that would come but to fulfill the description that he has we know that it is not just a man but that it has to be God in person. We know that this is a prophecy that 700 plus years later, Jesus Christ would be born. We know that over the past few weeks, we've looked at mighty God uh, displaying a God that will fight for us, an everlasting Father uh, that, that will always be there for His children. We've also looked at Prince of Peace, that because He rules in peace, we can have peace with God and peace with each other. And today, in the lead up to Christmas, we want to describe Jesus the man that was born on Christmas Day, and because of him we are saved. I want to talk about wonderful counsellor. Wonderful counsel, advice. Has anybody ever had bad advice? Give me a wave. Give me a wave. Have you received that bad advice from someone in the room? Give me a wave. Can I see any guilty looking around? Let me tell you, when I was growing up, I received some pretty bad advice. Let me give you an example when I was about six years old and my brother was about eight years old, we pushed my mother to the limit to the point where every, every young person has heard their mother say, go and wait in your room until your father gets home. Give me a wave if you've heard that statement. Yes, it's not an amazing statement because you know what is coming when your father gets home. So my brother 
comes up with an idea. Hey, I've got this baseball bat in the room. It was one of those hard foam plastic. It was still quite a solid bat. He said, you know what? We need to prepare ourselves for when dad gets home. So what I want you to do is I want you to bend over and I want you to put your head under the pillow and I'm going to whack you really hard. So So we spent the next half an hour whacking each other as hard as we could to the point my dad got home. He didn't give us, uh, we didn't need anything because we were sore. I couldn't sit down. It was bad advice that I had received. Bad advice. Has anybody ever received good advice but not listened? It's called stubbornness. Let's pray for that later. But in Geelong, we had a house. I decided to renovate the bathroom. I thought I had learnt, but I attempted it again up here. But my brother-in-laws, both of them are builders. So they gave me simple advice. They said to me, make sure the surface is clean and dry before you start. I didn't listen. Has anybody ever heard the concept, measure twice and cut once? I didn't listen. They said, map out all of the tiles before you start. I did not listen. This bathroom at the bottom of the tiles had one and a half centimetres of silicon because I had not measured the tiles correctly. The shower door would not shut properly because the angle of the, the tile and the hob that I went backwards so they didn't know what to do. I had received good advice, but I hadn't listened. Has anybody ever received good advice? Give me a wave and actually listened. It can save you a world of pain, can't it? I remember when I came home, I've only ever had to tell my parents this once. I said, I have a girlfriend. And I still remember the conversation. I was the youngest in the family and as most mothers do, you're too young for a relationship, you're my baby, you're growing up too fast. But yet it was very interesting because in the midst of the conversation, my father had said nothing. And as my mum wandered out the room and the door closed, he turned to me and said, she's from a great family, she's a humble girl, go for it, son. I took that advice. (laughs) Ten years later, three kids later, received some good advice. You see, what can happen is that advice can save you a world of pain or cause you a world of pain. It can help you move forward. It can stop you in your tracks. But what happens is as we look at Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, we begin to see a description of a man who is described as wonderful counsellor. It says this, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counsellor, mighty God, prince of peace. He's described as wonderful counsellor. If you look back to the original language, it's really interesting that the word is called palais, which begins to describe a picture of extraordinary, wonderful. It's amazing. It's incredible. But it is so wonderful. It is so extraordinary that it actually displays a picture that it says it's so extraordinary, it's almost hard to understand. It says hard to understand. Now, we know that in Isaiah 55, it talks about that God's ways are so much higher than our ways. His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. It makes sense that the advice, the wonderful counsel that sometimes God gives us is almost hard to comprehend. Talks about counsel to give advice in the original language. It talks about to guide. It actually talks about suggesting a plan. 
Because we know that He's got extraordinary plans for our lives. He's got incredible advice for our lives. But here's the thing. Often we find ourselves in two scenarios, hearing wonderful advice and taking it, and hearing wonderful advice and rejecting it. Today I want to focus on the fact that we have an opportunity to see what the wonderful counsellor has actually done in our lives. Because if Isaiah is describing Jesus as the wonderful counsellor, then what wonderful counsel did Jesus leave us? Well, we know that when we look through the Gospels, Jesus left us his word, the things he said. He left us with his example, the things that he did. And he left us with his legacy, those that follow him and, and live by his word. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He's saying, do what I do because I'm striving after Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. So follow me if you want to as I follow him. Well, we have the opportunity to be able to reflect post-it happening of what the wonderful counsellor did while he was here. And those principles are still valid for our lives today. So what did the wonderful counsellor say to us? Well, one of the ones that I think is extraordinary from the point that I find it hard to understand is he says this in Luke chapter 6, 27. He says, but to you who are listening, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Okay, here's a prime example of love your enemies. I don't want to do that. But yet there's wonderful counsel that's about to present itself to me through his word, through what he said, but yet I'm challenged by it. I remember a few years ago running into a former colleague. The first full-time job I ever got, I got a very hard time by this person, a very hard time. And I left well after leaving and a few years later I saw her and she came up to me and she apologised for the way that she had treated me. Now I knew the background to that, that because of what she had done, she had been humbled and she was a very different person to what she was when I was there. So when she came to me and she apologised, I'm not going to lie to you, my first instinct was, ha ha, you got what was coming, didn't you? But I didn't. I wanted to. But what happened is in that moment, I actually felt God speak to me and say, not only do you need to give her grace, but you need to pray for her. It's not easy. It's not hard. But the wonderful counsel that Jesus has given us is this, that we are to pray for our enemies. Do you know that's what separates us from the rest of the world, because the Bible talks about that, that God's grace is for, for everyone. You know, it talks about how the rain comes for the good and for the unjust. And, and how we separate ourselves from, as sons and daughters of Christ is simply that we follow the commands of Jesus and we love our enemies. Even evil people love those who love them. It's easy to do that. It's easy to reciprocate love. I love you uh, because you love me. But, but Jesus is saying that you are to love those that even hate you. You are to pray for those that persecute you. You separate yourself from the West of the world through the fact that the wonderful counsel of Jesus 
is that you're to love your enemies. And you're to be an example of that. What I love it is that if you read that in Luke chapter 6, it's actually a bit controversial at the time. Because if you read prior in that chapter, what was taught previous to that statement was that you were to love uh, your friends and you're to hate those that hate you. But what I love is that Jesus speaks in the authority of being the wonderful counsel. Because he goes, you've heard that, but I say to you, in the authority that Jesus has, he is saying to us, as the wonderful counsellor, you're to love your enemies. And you're to pray for those that persecute you. So the question that I have for you is, is there a person in your life that absolutely frustrates you to no end? They persecute you to no end. The question that I ask you is, are you praying for them? Are you praying that God's blessing and wisdom will fall upon their life? What about that person that gives you the hard time, that person that you know is opposed to you, their adversary, they're your enemy because they don't want good things for your life. Well, are you loving them? Are you making an effort with them? Because the wonderful counsellor tells us what we need to do. If you go on further down in that scripture, he talks about turning the other cheek. He says this, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt. The battle for me is that when someone slaps me, I slap them back. But here's the thing, is that what the wonderful counsel is in this situation is that Jesus is saying that, that it is much, their action is on them, that your action, reaction is a test of your spirit and who you are. Because it's on them for their action, but it's actually on you to test your spirit on a God because he's saying to turn the other cheek. What's he doing? He's giving a practical example of what Paul says in Romans. Paul says these three statements in Romans chapter 12. In verse 17, he says, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. He says in verse 19, Never avenge yourself. And he says to conquer evil with good. What's Jesus doing here is he's giving us a practical example of how to conquer evil with good. They slap you, turn the other cheek. The problem is, I'm not saying that we are to be walkovers. We are not to be walkovers. We're to fight for those that can't fight for themselves. But our reaction should be based on conviction and on submission to the King of Kings, not justice that we think we need to serve ourselves. Because it's God who is in control. And what he's doing, the wonderful counsel here, is he's giving us a practical way to overcome evil with good. Has anybody ever heard of the missionary Elizabeth Elliot? Elizabeth married her husband. His name was Jim. And what happened is they felt a call uh, to the South American tribes. So they went out there. They, they had their 10-month-old daughter. And Jim went to go and minister to an unreached tribe. And he never came home. He'd been speared to death. They killed him. So Elizabeth is left in a situation. She's been widowed. Can you imagine the pain? But not only being left losing your loved one, but now you have a child that you have to raise by yourself. But the principle of turn the other cheek 
is what she displayed. She went back and spent the next two and a half years as a missionary to that exact tribe that killed her husband. She had opportunities to share the gospel, opportunities to spread the gospel, show God's love practically by turning the other cheek. She overcame evil with good. It is up to God to judge them. Their action is on them, but your reaction as a follower of Jesus, listening to his wonderful counsel, should always be to overcome evil with good. So I ask you this question. Do you hear that wonderful counsel when people frustrate you? When people say things about you or misrepresent you? Do you turn the other cheek? Because the wonderful counsellor has left us with his words. But do you hear them? The last will be first is another thing that Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 10, 31, it says, Many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. I love the way that Jesus lived his life. Humble versus honour. Great to serve. First will be last. You see, the priority of heaven is so much different to the priority of earth. In fact, eternal life has nothing to do with your stature, your popularity, who you are, who you know, and everything to do with the way that you humbly serve your Lord and Saviour. It says in Luke 17, 33, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. Jesus is not asking you to give up your life, but he's asking you to serve him with the priority being him first. That's why he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. I love the wonderful counsel that he gives in Matthew 6 because earlier in the scripture, it talks about not being anxious. It says, do not be anxious. That's wonderful counsel for people in this room today. It says, be anxious about nothing. But I hear that wonderful counsel, but yet sometimes I battle. I can't understand. Because we will be presented in life with advice, but it is up to us to either take a hold of it or not to, remembering that the right advice can save you pain, will give you wisdom, will give you strength. These are the things the wonderful counsellor said. But he also led by example. I love in Matthew 14, and we've heard this many times, when Jesus feeds the 5,000. But it was more than that. It was a greater picture because it was also women and children with him. And, and I love it because I, I, you know, I have a, a picture when I, when I serve uh, to see uh, that they come to Jesus and they say, we need to send them away. They're hungry. He says, no, no, you, well, they're fine. You, you feed them. You take care of it. So they bring Jesus, five loaves and two fish. And he blesses it. And then he begins to break it up and he begins to give it out and everybody's full. 
And as I was praying and pondering on these verses this week, I, I wanted to share with you the fact that because of Jesus' example, we can have faith in famine. We can have faith. But what I realized is actually the perspective is this. When we have a supply that looks far under the need, we can have faith in Jesus for His provision for our life. Because He is there. No matter how unlikely it may look, no matter how uh, you, you think that unless God moves, that, that it won't happen, that's exactly where Jesus wants us to be so that we lean into Him, we push into Him. Because in that midst is when He will bring blessing, He will bring provision. I look at His example of service through washing feet. A stunning act of humility. And the model that he represented there is what? That we should serve each other. Many examples. The way he fought off temptation. The way he led with conviction. His attitude towards love, others, obedience to full completion. This is the example the wonderful counsellor set for us to follow. And with his legacy, we follow his example. But yet I don't understand and we know that it was part of God's redemptive plan for him to be rejected to the cross so that we can be saved and forgiven. But yet, even though I am saved, I know my eternity is secure. Often I see his advice, but yet I still reject it. Why? Why do we do that? What I want to do this morning is I want to quickly have a look at Solomon. If you guys would turn with me to First, Second Chronicles chapter 1. Solomon finds himself king makes some sacrifices to God and God comes to visit him and asks the most incredible question. I tried to put myself in his position. If God said to me, you can have anything you want, anything, would you pick what Solomon picked? Would you have the conviction that he had? Let's read. Dan, I might get you to come up. 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verses 7 to 12. We'll pick it up from there. That night, God appeared to Solomon and said, What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Solomon replied to God, You showed great and faithful love to David, my father, and now you have made me king in this place. O oh Lord God, please continue to keep your promise to David, my father, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me the wisdom and knowledge to lead them properly. For who could possibly govern this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, because your greatest desire is to help your people and you did not ask for wealth, riches, fame or even the death of your enemies or a long life, but rather you asked me for wisdom and knowledge to properly govern my people, I will certainly give you wisdom and knowledge you requested. But I will also give you wealth, riches and fame such as no other king has had before you or will ever have in the future. 
King Solomon's described as the wisest guy that, that ever lived. Wisest fool as well, but we won't go into that today. But, but at that space, in that moment of his life, he did a few things that I believe that if we can carry this in our world, with our decisions, in what we do, it gives God the freedom to direct our life, to move in our lives. See, in verse 8, it says this, Solomon replied, You have showed great and faithful love to David, my father, and now you have made me king in this place. You guys need to have this revelation for your life that all power and privilege comes from God and that Solomon seeks counsel because it is God who had appointed him to his position. God positions you. He places you in His plan. And what you guys have to realise is that you don't need to doubt who you are in any aspect of your life because not only did God create you fearfully and wonderfully, but He actually positions you in the plan and the purpose that He has for your life. So if there's a person that knows how it's all played out, why wouldn't you ask them for help? You made me. You created me specifically for the plan that you designed for me. He's going to have the answers. But the thing is, is that Solomon recognised that God had appointed him and that's why he was asking. Do you know the Bible says that, that wisdom can be found, but you've got to ask God for it. You have to ask God. It says the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. When you recognise God is in control, you reverence His will, you ask Him for wisdom, He will give it to you. But you have to recognise God is in control. God has positioned you. It's about letting go of your own will, your own plan. And going, okay, for me to be successful, I need to tap into what God has for me. The second thing that Solomon did was that it wasn't about himself. He had the right motive. See, in verse 10, it says, to lead them properly. For who could possibly govern this great people of yours? Solomon realised God had positioned him and wanted God's blessing on his life for other people. Do you know, as, as long as I'm the, the campus pastor here, we, we're not going to preach poverty mentality in this church. We're, we're, we're not going to preach uh, uh, wealth, but we will preach generosity because see, God wants to blow blessing into your life so that it doesn't stop with you, but that it can flow into people around you. Because see, Solomon wanted God's blessing so that others would benefit. I grew up uh, in the church in Geelong with the senior pastor there always describing us as a funnel of God's blessing. It flows to you, it flows through you and it flows out to others. You see, God wants to bless you so that you can be generous to bless others. Solomon realised that the, the blessing of God was actually not about him, but it was about governing his people. So you recognise God has positioned you and then recognise that when his blessing comes, it's not for you to hold on to. It's for you to give away, 
to use so that when others receive of the blessing of God through you, they give Him honour and glory. That's why it says in Matthew 5, 16, that they're gonna see your good deeds, what you're doing, but the honour and the glory goes to your heavenly Father. And the third thing, and I think this is the one I, I believe is most important, is that He asks God for wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge. When you look at the original word about wisdom, it paints a picture of administration, of the moral, of what it is. He, he wants to be able to administer his life, his conduct, his role well. But, but here's, the, here's the thing, as I pondered on this, is that we can have supernatural wisdom and we can make decisions based on conviction but not know why we, we did it. We go, okay, I got the conviction, I'm gonna do it and it worked out. But Solomon asks for wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge in the original language paints a picture of the thought of understanding. He didn't wanna just know how to administer well and have the conviction. He wanted to understand why God was doing it so that he could administer and understand fully why. Wisdom and knowledge for your life. God wants to pour that out on you. But we have to find ourselves in a, in, in a place like King Solomon where we recognise God positions us. We recognise He positions us for others and we ask for His supernatural wisdom and understanding knowledge of what He has for us. So what I want to do right now is I would like everybody to stand up. What we might do just for privacy's sake, get everybody to close their eyes. Lord God, we all walk in the same shoes. We all sometimes, Lord, have heard your advice, not taken it. We've all had those victories, Lord, where we've heard your advice and we've taken a hold of it. Lord, today I pray that your supernatural wisdom, your counsel, Lord, I just pray right now that as we position our hearts humbly, Lord, you will speak to those who need it. Right now, if you're here this morning and you just need God's supernatural counsel for some situation in your life, whether it's the finances, it's relational, it's uh, to do with making plans for your future, decisions you need to make, I just want you to raise your hands out in front of you to receive from God. Right now, Lord, we see those hands all over this place. We wait on you, Lord. You are the King of Kings. You are wonderful counsellor. I pray, Lord, that you'll begin to speak to these people clearly. Lord, we just need to ask you for wisdom, ask you for strength. Ask you for understanding. 
Analia might invite you to come up. Do you know, Christmas is coming. The Saviour of the world born in a manger. Born in the most humble of beginnings for you and for me. But because of what He is, we have a wonderful counsellor. We have a God that fights for us. We have a Prince of Peace. We have an everlasting Father. He loved you so much that He gave up His life for you. And right now, this morning, I might just get everybody to close their eyes for a second. I just feel, if there may be a person here today and you've heard me talk for 25 minutes about this man, Jesus, this wonderful counsellor, this God that loves us. And you might not know what it is to know Him. You see, in Romans chapter 3, it it talks about that, that we've all fallen short of the grace of God. We've all done something wrong. And because of that, we're separated from God because God can't be around sin. But in Romans chapter 6, it talks about that what Jesus did on the cross was He took your punishment for the things you've done wrong and my punishment. So that later on in Romans, it talks about that if we believe in our heart that Jesus is, is Lord and that not only did He die for the stuff we did wrong, but He rose again, it says that we'll be saved. Is there anybody here today that you just feel in your heart you, you want Jesus to be a part of your life? You want Jesus to be your wonderful counsellor? just want you to raise your hand just quickly. Hallelujah. Do you know that every week from now on we will present the gospel because we know that our wonderful counsellor that loves us, he's the King of Kings, he's the Lord of Lords, amen. Hallelujah. So what we're going to do is we're going to just finish with a song. Just want to encourage you guys just to allow God, allow the Holy Spirit to just move in your life. Next Sunday, be out, invite people. It's going to be a great week. Can't wait for it. Christmas is here. But what we're going to do just quickly as the band comes is that uh, we're going to... um, take up a missions offering. You know, I think about Elizabeth Elliot and I think about what uh, uh, she did and, and what she went through. You guys may sit down just for a minute to prepare for that. To be a missionary locally, nationally, internationally is an incredible thing. And us at Uni Hill Church, we, we, we support a few ministries. We know Matt and Kimbra and their work with uh, sex slavery And we know Vincent Borromeo doing Youth Alive and doing incredible things in Italy. And we get to be a part of partnering with them and what they do through giving in this missions offering. Uh, For those of you that may want to give via credit card, they are available in the back of your chairs. And if you need a pen, just pop your hand up. But God is good and He uses people. So why don't we just pray? And then we'll pass the containers towards down the road. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord God, for those that take up your call.
those that listen to your wonderful counsel and go and serve. Lord God, I thank you, Lord, that the humble will be honoured. And I know the situations and the people that we, we get to partner with here at Uni Hill Church. And I thank you for what they're doing. I pray right now at Christmas time, Lord, there will be special blessing over their lives as they serve, Lord God. And often what they do is unseen except by you. I pray that you will bless them. In this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Fantastic. Why don't you pass the containers at the end of the row? Once the container's gone past, I'd encourage you to stand again. Hallelujah.
Slave is our brother. 